chapter six part three section one of a defence of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six the new realism part three section one but even with the complete abandonment of epistemology the monist position is untenable if the new realism can make good its claim at all the other points along its admirably defended line if that is to say it can prove its own hypothesis of the independent self-subsistent reality of the world as external to any and every form of consciousness for that hypothesis if made good rules out his as to say the least of it superfluous why look behind the veil of appearances for ultimate reality when there isn't any veil when realities as ultimate as you are ever likely to get are spread out under your nose and absolute being is planted out all round you in embarrassing quantities but are the foundations of atomistic realism after all so very sure it is just possible it may prove after all more vulnerable than it looks for to begin with it gains an immense advantage from the fact that in spite of the influence of mr bertrand russell it is not a one-man philosophy as hegelianism and kantianism were one-man philosophies it is difficult to bring criticism to bear on a theory that is not yet built up into a system you know where you are in the critique of pure reason by merely looking at the headings of the parts and sections you can find your way from kant's basement through all his floors to his transcendental attic by a process as simple as going upstairs but the new realists though no doubt they all have the same architectural plan in their heads are not yet housed under one roof the american symposium of six suggests a colony of young men's christian association huts rather than a solidly built and many-storied house of thought the stain is not yet dry on their walls and the corrugated iron is very new so far not even the mathematical philosophy of mr bertrand russell is completely systematized the timid monist wandering among their scattered habitations never knows what disaster may lurk for him behind some door or window the critic of the new realism has to arrange it according to his own plan and it is open to any new realist to complain that his arrangement is wrong but at any rate it falls into two main divisions its critique and its construction it must be owned that its critique has accomplished something if not quite all that it set out to do it has completely shattered subjective idealism or solipsism not a very difficult or a much-needed enterprise and its particular success would be hardly worth mentioning but for our new realist very evident and very naive belief that certain arguments fatal to subjective idealism are equally destructive to idealisms that are not subjective it has destroyed a great deal of the abstract epistemology that superseded hegelianism and it is hardly likely that there will ever be any return of idealism in precisely that form it may even be conceded that in all probability there will be no return of idealism at all for another generation unless the excesses of the realist produce a violent reaction it has in short swept away so much old rubbish that any future idealism must reap the benefit of the space cleared for it its constructive half lends itself to five subdivisions 
the organon or atomistic logic the mathematical foundations the theory of space and time matter and motion the theory of universals the theory of sense perception for reasons which will appear i shall consider these in their reverse order i do not think this is taking an unfair advantage of a philosophy which has not yet got itself systematized since the new realists have declared their position to be impregnable at all points in justice to them however it should be remembered that their theory of sense perception rests on the mathematical foundations which again rest on their atomistic logic hence the impregnability it must be borne in mind that atomistic logic the bedrock of the entire philosophy is purely formal now since the mathematical foundations are pure and sense perception admittedly is not is it impertinent to ask how the one can be based upon the other mind is not more different from matter than mathematical points are from a point perceived in an extended surface let alone that they are not and cannot be perceived at all neither are they the causes of sense perception if anything is a cause in the external world it is the behaviour of the ultimate constituents of matter in public space and it is difficult to see how mathematical space in its purity and absoluteness can be in any sense a condition of the behaviour of matter further on the theory there has to be in any case an adjustment of private spaces to public space surely this is a pretty active and constructive work on the part of a perceiver who on the theory is supposed to be a passive spectator of ready-made realities outside himself again if all atomistic realities even when they are relations are such very absolute and ontologically speaking self-repellent entities it is difficult to conceive how they come together in one undivided act of perception the realists will no doubt say that they come together because they are together and that they are never in perception at all so let us put the problem in another form how are they in their absoluteness and plurality related to that single and undivided act when on the theory the relation of these relations is itself an outside entity in vain the realist decentralizes the entire performance he has got his problem at the periphery instead of at the centre that is all we know that his is not naive realism like the realism of the bonhomme reed it is indeed realism of the most highly sophisticated sort but all its sophistications do not disguise the essential naivete and difficulty of its problem things aren't as easy as all that the new realism leaves that problem precisely where the old realism left it for idealism to solve as best it can let it not be supposed that my monist is a naive idealist he does distinguish between subjective hallucinations and objective phenomena or if the realist likes between subjective and objective realities but this distinction is for the moment beside the point we are dealing now with objective realities to give them their courtesy title with independent outside things with the carpet which exists in the room and the room which exists in space whether i or my neighbour for that matter are or are not in the room beholding these existences the new realist is mistaken if he imagines that any idealist who is not also a solipsist supposes for one moment that these appearances cease by his absence 
and are revived again by his presence what he does suppose is that if all sense perceptions changed or ceased all sensible qualities would change or cease also and that if his ultimate and absolute reality which he calls absolute consciousness or thought or spirit were to cease the whole universe of its appearances would cease with it but as on his theory he cannot conceive of it as ceasing the question has no more significance for him than for the realist that is to say on his theory the universe will not and cannot abate one pulse of the energies one atom or one shade of the qualities that for the realist constitute its claim to be considered real until it or any one of its essential constituents are annihilated idealism does no violence to the dignity and decency of science or to the plain man's sense of reality it leaves all these matters precisely where they were but what does realism do it divides what for science and the plain man's sense were never yet divided it joins what for them were never yet joined it talks about irreducibles and undefinables where science and the plain man see palpable unities and relations it gives to the abstractions of its own logic a reality as august and far more permanent than the solar system it perpetuates the old fallacy of arguing that what is outside a human body is outside all consciousness and that what is inside human consciousness is therefore inside the human brain it swears by psychophysical parallelism yet it regards consciousness as a mysterious and unnecessary spectator of external events a spectator who only departs from the purely passive role to manufacture tertiary psychic qualities which have no physical parallel still let us suppose that it gets its backing from the higher mathematics and that it is irrefutably true philosophy is then in an even worse position than it was before kant faced with a universe of realities of which an infinite number are harder and more irreducible than brickbats utterly different from and independent of consciousness a universe which has contrived to exist by itself for infinite ages without being known and superlatively indifferent as to whether it ever is known or not which at some moment of finite time is suddenly confronted with an infinite crowd of finite knowers utterly unnecessary to its existence utterly mysterious in their origin yet demanding an origin by reason of their finiteness the fact of knowledge becomes once more the intractable problem of philosophy with no hope of tackling it as kant tried to tackle it at the knowing end it is as if kant had been shut up with wolf in wolf's library and had gone to sleep there with nobody to wake him from his dogmatic slumber when the new realist in his realism says that kant's slumbers if everlastingly prolonged would have been no misfortune for the human race since idealism has had no effect on physical or mental science he is confusing physical and mental science with philosophy it may be doubted whether the realism of the twentieth century is going to have any effect on physical and mental science either seeing that these have hitherto managed to get on very well without it whereas realism owes much of its alleged security to the support it professes to receive from physics and applied mathematics but before considering its security we must look closer at its treatment of the problem of immediate perception it is no longer berkeley's question of how realities hard as brickbats 
contrive to penetrate from an outside world into an inside consciousness which is tenuous and tender since on the theory they do not penetrate into consciousness at all nor is it kant's question of how synthetic judgments are a priori possible since it is not for judgment to make any synthesis at all but only to look on and constater so far as there is any synthesis at all the synthesis is performed with efficiency by realities themselves now unless we remember that this theory has a high mathematical backing this part of it looks almost too simple and easy to be true and we must admit that there is something fascinating and even plausible in its simplicity and easiness it also looks stated thus without reference to the higher mathematics as if it were a question-begging theory still it would be unfair to press that point as idealists may claim an equal right to isolate a theory for observation but the realist is dodging the issue when he argues that the existence of hallucinations of red carpets in consciousness that are not in the room is no objection to his theory it is an objection as we shall see and a fairly formidable objection but it is not the crucial one hallucinations on any theory may be supposed to arise from a flaw or a kink in the apparatus of perception from something that is to say abnormal but the true crux in the normal and permanent memory image the faithful reproduction of the spectacle that arises as the spectator's subjective response to the stimulus of those nerve and brain cells that were associated so mysteriously with his uninterrupted view of the original performance the realist cannot say that this repetition of the spectacle is taking place in public space nor in that private space which is adjustable to public space red carpets are in his consciousness now at any rate that is to say they are subjective in the sense that his memories are not my memories or anybody else's memories but though subjective they are spatial they are extended and they are red to be spatial then to be extended to be red are not hallmarks attaching to things that exist only outside consciousness they are after all properties also of things that arise in consciousness i think the new realist can hardly argue that memories arise anywhere else but if he does he will get an infinite regressus of outside simulacra and no genuine memory at all genuine memory should one would imagine be saturated with subjectivity and in the experience of most of us genuine memory is i do not ask him how he distinguishes between the memory of the spectacle and the spectacle itself he distinguishes precisely as the idealist distinguishes by the difference of the complexes in which each occur for one thing he distinguishes by the very saturation which he ignores as being of the essence of memory but i do ask him how he reconciles the fact of their common share in all so-called primary and secondary qualities with his theory that these qualities only exist independently of consciousness and outside it this objection cannot be met by simply saying that the original sense data their images in memory and what he may call dream spectacles and hallucinations are all equally realities but of different orders it is their likeness and not their unlikeness that is the problem hallucinations are important in psychology over and over again abnormal occurrences have been our guides to the laws and the significance of normal behaviour hallucinations the new realist says 
can be referred entirely to some kink or flaw in the apparatus of perception the apparatus of perception can then produce of its own initiative a very tolerable imitation of reality a power which it really ought not to have if the realist's account of perception is the true one still dream consciousness can do as much or more and in neither case is perception of a real outside object involved but take hallucinations of the lesser sort the temporary distortions and duplications of perception which we are all familiar with perception mind you of a real outside object these also are due to some kink or maladjustment of the apparatus easily corrected the new realist says by readjustment or by reference to the real object the error is in the false judgment of the perceiver no doubt but the possibility of correction is really not the point the point is that the apparatus is important we have here not the simple affair of spectator and spectacle that realism supposes there is a go-between a medium and the medium can distort it can duplicate we would not be aware that there was a medium if it were not for its occasional aberrations and its abnormal behaviour is the clue to its normal functions the medium then distorts or duplicates what the realist says not the real object an image of the object realism has no use for images in immediate perception it has ruled them sternly out the appearance of the object then realism says that in perception the appearance is the reality agreed that it is the apparatus the medium itself that is duplicated or distorted and we are where we were before perception is still as much the thrall of its apparatus as of its object if its duplicate for the experiments are accidents which yield duplicates amount to its duplication and i am giving realism the benefit of any doubt there may be on this point if the duplication of the medium can make one perceiver perceive two objects and if its distortion can make him perceive the real object as if it were distorted if its correct adjustment is essential to his correct perception of the object it is clear that his perception of objects correct or incorrect is not precisely what you might call immediate how can he then be sure as cocksure as the realist is that he is perceiving a reality and not an appearance and when we consider the pure sense data those secondary qualities which realism declares to be not warm intimate sensations but objects of sensation planted out and no more at home in consciousness than the north pole is the old problems turn up again as persistently as if the new realism had never arisen to solve them for if disregarding the apparatus of perception we take the new realism's primary secondary and tertiary qualities as simply as it would have us take them we shall not find the tertiary qualities which it admits to be subjective divided off from the secondary or objective ones as sharply as we should expect on a theory which distinguishes between realities dependent on consciousness and realities not so dependent on the contrary starting with the tertiary qualities and working outwards from the subjective centre we pass through a reaction zone of tertiary qualities merging into secondary in a gradation of shades so subtle as to defy the arbitrary division that realism has set up the aesthetic feelings wonder admiration and awe 
the passions and emotions love desire fear pleasure and displeasure and disgust are not qualities that realism would dream of planting out in the objects that excite them and it requires some stretch of imagination on idealism's part to realize sound and color hardness and heaviness as sense data rather than as sensations and it requires a bigger stretch still to plant out tastes and odors in the particles of matter that excite them but what about heat and cold supposing the idealist agrees that it is the fire that is hot and the air that is cold and not the idealist then when by imperceptible gradations the fire grows hotter and hotter and the air colder and colder and pain is his reaction to the higher intensities of the same stimulus is he to plant out the pain into the fire and the air i suppose the realist will say he need plant it out no farther than his own body but even that is too far for the intimately subjective thing that pain seems to be besides you have now left it unsettled whether the heat is in the fire or in his body if the new realist says that obviously it is in both then how about the pain how are you to distinguish as secondary and tertiary between the heat that is outside consciousness and independent of it and the pain which is in consciousness which without consciousness would not and could not be and you can take all the secondary qualities and increase their intensity with the same result intense light and sound taste and odour will bring about violent reactions your objective secondary sensations merging into subjective tertiary agony what is more your sensation of primary qualities will behave in the same way increase the heaviness of your suitcase or the impetus of your contact with the table and heaviness and hardness will pass into sensations that are not sense data at all as the realist defines them the problem is not affected by the consideration that in all these instances notably in that of the suitcase and colliding table your body is the medium of the reaction realism cannot get over the damning fact that somehow at some point the transition from primary or secondary to tertiary from outside consciousness to inside consciousness has been made realism allows for the transition from secondary to primary qualities by its theory that extension is colored and can be perceived as a sense datum what it refuses to admit and cannot account for on any theory either of psychophysical parallelism or of reality independent of consciousness is that all these unbroken transitions taken together constitute a very considerable whole for consciousness while the performance is fairly explicable if we suppose that consciousness takes over the whole show end of chapter six part three section one recording by expatriate in bangor maine